Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Podcast Saturday. We have some gorgeous weather here in Kentucky. It is full-on summer by the looks of it, by the feel of it. We're pretty much there. In fact, I bought a ton of organic strawberries today at the farmer's market, which was so nice. Something I definitely couldn't do in Arizona. And they were so delicious, so sweet, and really almost past their prime. So it's kind of amazing that summer fruits are already moving through. Funny little agricultural note here. I am excited today and maybe a tad overwhelmed to talk about husbands or guy partners at birth. Before I get into that, hmm, let's see, what do I want to give an update on today? Not the most interesting, probably for a lot of people, but we have had some animal issues around here lately, which is kind of new and I think because we are doing new things like raising chickens it just comes with the territory of learning of learning this new animal of learning how to raise them all of us myself and and all of the kids so we've had a couple of funny chicken situations Um, some are a lot less funny than others and I'll start with that one which is our baby chickens got some kind of parasite I won't bore you with how or why or when, but they were pretty sick. And it's the kind of thing where there's just no way you could know until you were in it, meaning that one died or maybe it was two before we caught on to something going on. And thanks to Dr. Google, uh, being able to identify it and then treat the rest of the chickens was obviously key in not having them all die. It was really an initiation for my children to witness these chickens being sick. These little babies they had raised for the last couple of weeks, uh, they got to participate in chicken hospital. And like I said, unfortunately, some just weren't meant to survive. And it was really hard and humbling. And I totally cried over these baby chickens. Uh, mostly because we just sat and midwifed a few of them close to the house. We brought them up out of the coop. We had them closer to us when they were sick. And a couple of the kids and I really just sat vigil with these poor little chicks. A couple of them did survive. That was really amazing and miraculous. I didn't think that was going to happen since they were all in such close quarters and They were all exhibiting some signs, but two of the little babies survived out of six, and we are so grateful. We are so grateful, and the kids took a renewed interest in taking care of them and playing with them, 
and as sad as it might sound, just appreciating them and saying goodbye to them when we leave because they were very shocked as I was to just come upon these poor things super sick. And like I said, some had already died and another one or two, we really just watched kind of perish. It was not something that could be reversed for some of them. So that's the sad chicken news. But again, we are appreciating the flock that we do have. So grateful that none of the adult chickens were harmed since they are the egg layers. And our teenage chickens were also not harmed. So we lost a couple of babies, which was very sad. It was very educational. And we are back in business here with healthy birds. The other interesting chicken tidbit, if you know anything about chickens, is the one chicken we have, and her name is Jada, which is so funny because that's my son's girlfriend's name. She's named after her. So little Miss Jada here became broody, which of course I've heard about, but we had never experienced before. So this very young chicken, bless her little chicken heart, really wanted babies, I suppose, which is just the natural order, isn't it? And so she sat on an enormous pile of eggs until we got the guts to remove her because there was no other solution. This poor broody chicken wasn't eating, wasn't drinking. I thought she was ill at one point because she was dehydrated. She was sitting there panting like a dog. But if you've ever experienced this with a chicken, they are determined. They are determined to make chicken babies and to keep the nest warm, and they neglect themselves, which I also found very interesting in light of human pregnancies and births. Doesn't appear to just be a human trait sometimes to neglect yourself in favor of your offspring, but this chicken definitely was full force sitting on this nest. It took me a couple of days to put the clues together. We had the sickness going on. I wasn't sure exactly what was happening. She did trade off at one point with another one. But yesterday, yesterday, brave little Deva got in there because I asked her to. None of the other kids would do it. They were scared that this chicken would peck them. We have rooster trauma, I think, is the problem. Uh, but Deva was not scared. She got into the chicken coop with her high heels on. No joke, sparkly high heels. And she just lifted little Jada off her nest and put her down. And Jada was happy to run around and eat. She acted like she hadn't eaten in weeks, which might have been true. And we gathered 24 eggs from under her. So it has been just chicken world over here. Uh, in fact, my mom today sent me a chicken mom shirt, which I thought was super cute and funny. And I will totally wear it because I have become chicken mom. Not just human mom and dog mom, but I guess I really do care about these birds. They're really sweet and funny, and they all have little personalities. So we're excited to raise up these babies and these teenagers and see what comes. On the birth front, um, all is well. We are still, of course, working in the ways that we do with this Indie Birth Institute Many of you have seen the site. If not, it's IndieBirthInstitute.org. We are reworking some things and planning some kind of more major launch, so to speak, into the world this summer. 
it got out there and that was on purpose a couple of weeks ago, but wasn't really a big spread. <laughs> and also just astrologically speaking, seems like it maybe wasn't the absolute best time. So we are planning just a way to ways really not a way ways to really release this out into the world with a very intentional vibration and energy and mission. Hence the reworking of the website and just getting really super clear for me mostly on what words are we using to really describe this place. I think the trailer video definitely speaks for itself. I know that if you haven't seen it, you'll love it, you'll cry, but I wanted words. And so I've been working on that this weekend. Also making it clear that this has nothing to do with any kind of licensed midwifery. This has nothing to do with the board of nursing or a medical board or, you know, anything like that. This is a mission of freedom. And that is, again, what I am focusing on to get clear in my words and the vibration that's put out there. So anybody reading, whether they're super into it or super hate this whole idea, which, you know, there are definitely people out there, um, can be even more clear about the way they feel. Because this is a private association. Indie Birth has been a private membership association for 10 years, if not a little bit more than that. And this place would be no exception. So this is not open to public law. Um, or rules and regs. This is essentially a private society, a secret society, if you will, of freedom loving people who believe in birth, who believe in physiological birth, who believe in the power of these souls coming through the power of nature. And of course, the art of birth attendance by traditional midwives and others. So again, uh, just speaking those words clearly for myself and for you, if you should resonate with them, and wanting to make that more public on the website so that there are no mistakes. There is no misunderstanding about what this is and what this isn't, that I want it to be 500% crystal clear. And <clears throat> that, of course, um, is protective for sure. We do need to... Um, think about the fact that when we do something really edgy in this way in the world, and we are believing in this new earth, this new possibility, that we won't be received with love and gratitude by everyone. And that's not the focus, but that's just the reality of this world that we're in. So there is that idea of protecting what we're doing, of setting it up correctly, setting it up in this private manner so that it's not open to um, not just criticism, but basically attack by any other body that thinks they have authority over us. And then, of course, the more important reason is to flavor the energy is to make it so that when people go to the site, when they're talking about this Indie Birth Institute, that there is an actual feeling we're going for that we are trying to communicate. And that is the feeling that will spread that is the vibration of love and souls coming in in a really powerful way, amongst a million other benefits, of course, that will catch on because 
that's what's needed. I know that that is true. It's not just birth. Uh, it's a way to shift the consciousness of the world. So that is my very positive way of describing some current happenings here. But also, I'm super grateful. Um, I'm always grateful for the opportunity to be more clear and to set boundaries in my words, in my energy, so that it's contained, you know, so that it can't easily be contaminated by other people or other ways of thinking. It's really important when you're starting any kind of project, I think, to focus on it in this way. And again, I'm so grateful to have that support from so many people, not just my colleagues, uh, but my mentors, uh, my husband, you know, the close people in my life that really do see this for what it is. It is a spiritual project, I would say. Um, I don't think that is too extreme. It's not, as I've said many times, a birth center in any description that the world already knows about. It is essentially a spiritual project. So I am sticking with that. I am elaborating on that theme. I am feeling into it more myself every minute, every day, because that's the work. That's the work is to get so clear that it shows up. So I am taking that very seriously. Uh, I've been somewhat absent from social medias and all of that kind of stuff, which is necessary too. I just am not feeling like I want to engage in any kind of anything with anybody that I'm not super sure about. I'm not interested right now. I'm really, really super focused on this project, on bringing this Indie Birth Institute into manifestation whenever the time is right. And then, of course, my kids, my husband, my dogs, my chickens, and last but not least, of course, all the lovely women that I get to support. <sighs> so 13 minutes in, always a good number. I have been thinking about partners at birth and also having this conversation in little bits here and there, in person, as per usual, maybe virtually, just coming up a lot lately. So the topic and sort of the questions are all in this vein of how can my husband, how can my boyfriend, whatever, how can my male counterpart support me in this experience? And again, I mentioned feeling overwhelmed because I kind of do. Like, I think there is a couple of ways to talk about this. And so I'm going to try to do that because I really don't have a one sentence answer. Obviously, I rarely do for most things. I was thinking about this from my own experience, since I usually share that. I think it's always fun to hear stories. And also it will help you understand where I've come from. Because I can't help but give suggestions or share what I think is wisdom from any place other than my experience. So my personal experience through my 10 births has been really interesting, I think, as far as the role that my husband has played. Thinking back to our very first birth, hospital birth, 
he was as involved as he could be with Bradley classes that we took. So for those that don't know, I don't know that I guess Bradley is still around. It doesn't feel very prominent in my mind, but series of classes, he went along. In fact, if I'm not wrong, Bradley method is called husband coached childbirth. How funny is that? I didn't even remember that till right now. I'm not going to get into a critique of that because I don't entirely even remember what it's all about. Uh, Do I think husbands need to coach birth? Well, no, but this was the class we took our very first pregnancy. What I do remember is that we both went to the classes that he was, of course, supportive. And, you know, here's one of the many disclaimers. I think most men are really trying to be supportive. So, you know, this isn't meant as a criticism of them or uh, like an over involvement in the relationships of couples. I think there's so much that we each have with our partner that nobody could really sort of know about or interpret. And I really, really honor that. So the suggestions today, any wisdom that I share, you really have to take it and see if it's going to work for you and your partner. It's really just going to be very basic. So back to Jason, he was very supportive, he came, and he learned how to do the things. And if I remember correctly, with Bradley method, there were some relaxation techniques. And I kind of don't remember what else. But when it came time to have the baby, we spent a couple of days in the hospital. That's a whole other story. But my water set opened at 37 weeks. And I was told I couldn't leave. Okay, well, now I know better. But there I was, first baby in the hospital. And I really wasn't in labor. So my husband was a great support to me. He was there with me. He was trying everything our doula was suggesting. Oh, rub her feet, rub the pressure points, um, walk the halls, you know, all of the things to get contractions going when that's all so silly, of course, in hindsight. I wasn't in labor. So eventually Pitocin and labor that way. And he was as supportive as he could be. I don't really remember him doing anything except being there, which was enough. And I think a hospital birth is entirely different. So to be clear, I'm talking about home birth today, mostly. And I think people that are planning a hospital birth really have a whole other ball game to consider and a whole other set of conversations around jobs to do and the roles and all of that. So I'm not going to keep going down that path. But we did have a doula, which was very helpful. And I think it really was helpful to him, which often is how it can be with a doula. And all I really remember, and this isn't the most positive memory, I guess, but All I remember is, you know, going through that. Yes, he was there. Yes, it was what it was. Baby came out. Amelia came out. And of course, I was exhausted. It was coached pushing. It was all of the things. And they took her away to the NICU, which Jason wasn't really prepared for, nor was I. So he really didn't act as an advocate. So 
that really wasn't a role that we had planned for him to be in. And here's the funny part. And he totally has told this story. I think you may have heard it, but he went home. So funny. Like he was tired and I was tired and he just really, I would say, he would say, just wasn't in his body, which I think is something that a lot of guys can probably relate to after a birth experience, especially at the hospital and maybe at home. Was I in my body? Was I even there? Was I so nervous or scared or excited that I didn't even stay present in the moment? And I think that's a great question for people to ask themselves um, and pretty much anyone that's out of birth, you know, even as a student. It's a great thing to be like, wow, was I present for that? (laughs) Or did I go somewhere else? So by his own admission, he was just kind of out of body. There were things that needed to be taken care of at home. We had two dogs at the time. And I guess he asked me, I mean, it wasn't like he just ran away, but somehow he left. And that's really silly in hindsight, but it felt fine at the time. I look back and I think, wow, like so much for bonding, you know, so much for advocacy, so much for us just kind of huddling together and and celebrating, right, that we had, I had just birthed this baby. So, you know, a lot of lessons learned there to take us forward. My second birth was our first home birth. And again, some of these are repeat stories for sure. Uh, It was a last minute choice. We found a midwife. And again, Jason did great. He was there. Um, He was throwing ice in a very hot pool. He was probably nervous as heck that the midwife wasn't there yet. I was pushing. Again, my guess is he wasn't quite in his body, but he was he was there (laughs) and present for the birth of our son. Uh, Going on from that, I won't tell every story. I remember with Tallulah, who was the third baby that he did receive her, that I was kind of standing in the pool or something. And I just really didn't have my wits about me. I hadn't yet to that point caught my own baby, believe it or not. So not with the first, not with the second. And here I am the third time. It still wasn't something that was in my intention. It wasn't in my consciousness. So he caught her. And I'm sure that was great. And he felt very proud. And for better or for worse, I think at least that far into our births together, he very much had this idea like someone needs to be there to do something because that's kind of how our births had looked up to that point. So even that is a huge conversation that when we're talking about husbands being present at birth, most of them and most women, unless they've had a home birth that was really physiological and all of that good stuff, um, kind of nobody knows what the norm is, because they haven't experienced it yet. So that doesn't mean this isn't a conversation. I think it definitely is. My point is only that sometimes in hindsight, you can definitely look back and see like so much, right? So much that there isn't a lot to do at birth, I don't think. And so that's kind of one of the the spokes on the wheel of this conversation is like, yes, 
I do have a list of practical things and I will do my best to take you through that in this podcast. But also, how about we consider that there isn't a lot for anyone to really do? There isn't. That this is the woman's initiation. This is her job. And that's a question that I do ask the clients I'm working with at the very end, probably within the last month of pregnancy. The mom and the dad fill out a questionnaire together about fears and roles. So enter this discussion again and responsibilities. So they get to talk about it once again. You know, what is my role? What is my responsibility? And I'll get into some of the things I think dads can be really great at being responsible for. But what always comes up, and it always comes up when we go through this questionnaire, is that the woman must birth the baby. And I can't tell you how many times I've brought that up because people fill out the form and they're really thinking in a linear way, right? So the woman's thinking like, it's my job to eat. It's my job to drink. It's my job to make sure I'm rested. And those are all true. But the biggest job is to birth the baby. And I, again, always make a point of this if someone doesn't come up with it on their own. And most people don't. Most people, at least having their first babies, don't come up with this on their own. So it's usually an aha moment where you can actually see this in the woman's eyes. You can see her recognition of this fact. You are the only one that can birth your baby. And there's something beautiful and scary and electrifying and humbling about that, about absorbing that. And I think that is really important for the team. I think that's really important for the partner. There's nothing anyone can really do. But of course, we'll talk about some supportive measures. I always like to take it back to the simplest thing, the barest of bones for some of these questions, though, because I think in our culture, especially, we can spiral off into the lists and the linear way of thinking. And because birth is so not that way, even if somebody does appreciate a list and we can do that, again, it's this deeper understanding of the process, which is it's the unknown. We're not quite sure what's going to be required of us. And as the midwife, same. I don't know what may be required of me. The woman doesn't know what will be required of her to birth this particular baby, Earthside. And so how could anyone else know, right? How could anyone else really be fully prepared? And that's one of the things about birth that is very uncomfortable to acknowledge, Okay, where was I going with this? So Jason, okay. Um, Yeah, I guess without going through every birth story, the point I'm trying to make is he started off like most men do, thinking that there was stuff he needed to physically do, which in my case, I have to say, didn't feel like it made a world of difference, but that's me. So again, I'm not knocking women that are like, oh my gosh, my husband was my rock. You know, he got me through this labor. Great. I have never felt like that. I have never felt like that. 
Um, and as we've moved through having more children, honestly, it's increasingly become obvious to both of us that his role is outside of the birth room. And that feels like a whole other podcast to me. Just, you know, do men belong at birth? And I don't have the answer. I'm definitely not saying they don't belong. I'm saying that sometimes it's better for everyone when they realize, and it's not forced, but they realize that their role is supportive on the outside. And I definitely want to talk more about that. So that's what's worked for us. Again, I can't say what should work for anyone. When I work with families, I do my best to say, this is your birth. I don't care. You know, I don't care about, I, I don't have my own needs. It doesn't need to look a certain way. I don't tell people what their husbands should or shouldn't do. Um, just saying for me, for us, the last couple of births have been really without Jason in the room, which I find fascinating because he's my soulmate. There is no one closer to me in this world and obviously the father of my children. So I really do find it fascinating and I feel very lucky and privileged that I've had as many births as I have because I've had this opportunity to change things up, you know, to have enough babies where I can say, hey, um, you know, that was fine, but it doesn't need to be that way. So if if you're more comfortable just taking care of the kids and not being right there, that's fine with me. It's okay. That's your role. And that's a really important role. So again, just this idea of what do we really need as women? Like, do we really need that energy? Sometimes we do. And sometimes the male energy is really better outside. So whether it's literally outside of the birth room, you know, or just sort of figuratively protecting the space, I think that's also really valid. And I say that because I want people to also consider that. I want them to consider it and not feel bad if that's what they both want. So again, it's not a forcing necessarily. But I know for Jason, um, there definitely has been anxiety around a baby coming like he has never not had that and he has openly admitted it he's not Mr. Relaxed he might look like Mr. Relaxed but he knows birth you know he knows birth better than most guys and he knows it's a wild card there's no guarantee and it's just natural and normal so I say that for other men too that might be listening or maybe women are relaying some of this, it's natural and normal to have some anxiety, you know, to want your wife and baby to be healthy and safe. That is normal. And because we can't control it, we have to really surrender to that. So yeah, that brings me to talking about maybe some more concrete things now for a little bit before I switch back to this energetic way of supporting that for me has felt the best. So I guess one last or, or a couple last personal anecdotes. Um, you know, Deva's birth, which people can watch in 13 moons was beautiful. It was one of my most favorite births of mine. And uh, I had my sisters in the room, you know, I had Margot and another a student midwife at the time and some of my girls. And Jason was literally on the outside of the room. 
but it felt perfect. And, you know, that might sound weird. And I think sometimes maybe we think as women, we're birthing the baby and this baby is also theirs. Yes, true. How can it feel so normal to not have them right there? And I don't have the answer, except I think nature does know what it's doing. Um, I don't know. I, I should look into the way other mammals birth as far as like, you know, having the male around. My sense is that it's usually women, right? Whether they're elephants or or whatever, uh, they're surrounded by other females. And it probably isn't so typical to have male energy in mammalian birth around much at all. But I'll hold my tongue on that because there's a lot I don't know. But for us, yeah, it's felt good to have him on the outside. And then with Cove, uh, that's another video you can watch in 13 Moons. She's the one that really came out when no one was in the room. So same thing. He wasn't present. And again, this wasn't planned. It just felt best for both of us, for me to go and do this thing of having the baby and for him, especially with a lot of children, to be in that role. And then, of course, Rumi was not born at home. He was born in the hospital. But Margot came with. And I remember that being a choice. I remember being in god-awful pain and wanting to go. But, you know, for a split second, being like, oh, my gosh, who should go? And honest to goodness, it was Margot. Like, that's who I wanted. And it's, again, not because I don't love my husband or think that he's amazing, It wasn't the energy I wanted. I needed her. I needed her and I wanted her. And yes, it's a little sad that he didn't get to see Rumi be born. But that's just the way it worked out. And, um, you know, even at home births, I feel like it definitely happens. At least every now and again, where the dad isn't in the room. And it's not intentional. Sometimes they're in the bathroom. Uh, You know, we're doing our best to kind of give them heads up. But It's just not meant to be. And I think that's even really fascinating. Just what that means or doesn't mean. Maybe it means nothing. Um, But for me, and in witnessing births, the main players are the mom and baby, right? So yes, the dad is there and he's needed. And I've also seen so many beautiful births where the dad receives the baby, catches the baby, and the three of them are this beautiful little oxytocin triangle, right? And that totally is great and works for those families. So again, I wish it looked one way. And I think that's part of the overwhelmingness of this conversation and the complexity. And when people ask like, hey, what can my husband do? It's like, oh my gosh, well, ha, who knows? Who knows what he can do? And who knows if it'll matter? And who knows what you will want? And who knows what he'll want? And who knows what the baby will want? I have no idea. So some practical things. Again, for people I'm working with, we're hopefully talking about a relationship over time. And so there's plenty of time to educate. Because knowing how to be at a birth, whether you're a dad, whether you're a grandma, who cares, I think takes some education. We're not used to witnessing birth in our culture. That is all. So it doesn't matter who you are. If you're not familiar with being at home births, then there's things you have to know. This is why we teach our free workshop, mostly, even for people that aren't clients. We really want people to come watch births 
and learn about the hormones of labor and what disturbs birth and what doesn't disturb birth. And again, that's crucial information for a partner. So often women are coming to prenatals alone. That's fine. But it's a great time for husbands to come as well or engage in the learning online. Take the 13 Moons course. Uh, do it on your own or do it together. You can't take the place of education. And because I'm not talking to anyone in particular, and I'm really not even thinking of anyone in particular, I'm going to be bold and say that a lot of the times women ask me this question, their husbands are massively uneducated. And, you know, whose responsibility is that? It's not yours. If you're having a baby, you're the one having the baby. You might choose to care and help nudging, you know, sending a podcast kind of thing. But at the end of the day, and I've seen it a million times, the guy has to want to, he has to want to flip on that podcast, he has to want to watch that birth video, you cannot force him. So if someone's married to someone or has a partner that is just not interested in learning, then how can I help them in a way? Like, how can we make this list when they don't know how birth works? So if we have on our list, you know, make sure she's eating, make sure she's drinking. If you don't even know how birth might look, how do you even offer that? And I think many of us know because we've seen it or experienced it. And again, not to sound just highly critical, but again, not pointing fingers. Um, you get guys at births that are talking. They're talking too much because they're nervous. They're asking questions like, are you okay? You know, how are you supposed to answer that when you're in labor, right? It's like, no, I'm not okay. I'm having a baby. Um, or they're talking about, you know, something completely irrelevant that's disturbing the energy because they're nervous. Or they're on their phone, which is a different sort of interruption. Or they're bringing food and drink, but they're asking a lot of questions. You know, they're saying, what do you want? Or do you like this? Or I know that sounds really obnoxious, maybe, but it's not. Because if you know anything about basic physiological birth, you know that the woman is not in the headspace for questions, that she's super sensitive to energy, she's super sensitive to noises, to smells, and that all of that will bother her. So again, guys that like just want this shortlist, do yourself a favor and learn the basics about birth in one way or another. And don't make her force you, you know, do it because you've said you wanted to support and this is support. You have to know what it might look like. And of course, you have to know your wife, your partner. She's going to do this her way. And if she's somebody that's already really quiet, then you know that about her. And you interpret what she's going through through that lens. So there is a lot to know. And again, I guess um, it is a little frustrating when guys want to be told what to do without doing their homework. So do your homework. Once you've done your homework, there is definitely stuff that happens at a labor that if you want to be a busy little beaver, you should totally do. And it will be very helpful and welcome. I've mentioned already, making sure she's eating and drinking. This can be your full-time job in labor. And again, this can be something that you're really 
needed for, like thoroughly needed for, also in pregnancy. So again, this comes back to education, to maybe working with someone who's helping you. Um, I love when the guys really step it up in pregnancy for a woman, whether she has kids or not. Maybe she is eating well, maybe she's not. Take the lead. Take the lead with the food. If you're not a cook, great. Uh, find out what snacks she likes. Go buy them. Set your alarm if you're home with her on a weekend and just bring her a snack every hour or every two hours. Food is a serious job. And the more support women have with that, the better and easier it is for them. Bringing drinks, bringing food is definitely a very important job in the birth process. The pool. Should your partner want a pool set up for her labor and birth, it's the perfect job. All kinds of hooking things up and making sure faucets fit, all of it usually is right up the alley of many guys. And again, it's very useful. So that can be a great job. Minding other children, of course, can be super helpful. I think the sub-conversation there is probably obvious, and that needs to take place between the woman and her partner. Do you want this man to be with the kids and not be with you? Because usually it's one or the other, right? Even if you only have one child, that can take up one person. So that conversation is just really important for people to have. And... Sometimes that's not clear. Sometimes women will say, oh, well, he is going to be with the kids, but, you know, he'll be there and I'm going to have him do this or that. And my suggestion is always, well, then what about getting someone just for the children? Because, you know, that's enough of a job, especially if they're young kids and they become unhappy or want their mom. The second best is usually their dad. So that's a great project, for lack of a better word. You know, it's a great responsibility to just be in charge of the house, the food, the kids. Other things that come to mind, and this would come back to birth prep, well, all the things that someone might do to prep themselves. So again, childbirth classes, participating in those, even if they're online. We offer things here like breathwork classes, perfect for both the couple to come and experience. Other ways that a woman might want specific support. So I think it was Margot, actually. I could be wrong, but I think Margot was one who wanted to make a list for her fridge before labor um, as far as, like, what are some coping mechanisms? You know, like, what, what do I want to remember? What would I want him to remind me about? Maybe other people have a list of, I don't know, like, people to contact or or other things to do around the house or a list of birth positions like that comes to mind. Um, remember, we practice these in our prenatal class. Uh, maybe I'll need your help with some of these. So using the partner in labor for different positions like hanging or hooking up a rebozo um, so that might take a little bit of planning, although spur of the moment help is welcome. But those are some other concrete jobs I can think of for really anyone that's there, but specifically a dad that like wants to be involved. 
Then, of course, there's just the hands-on support. Some guys are great at that, some are not. And again, it really comes back to your own relationship, how you are with each other in life, right? So if you're someone that your your husband loves to give you back rubs and massages, then that might be really great in labor. It also may not, but, you know, things that we're used to and roles that we're used to being in can often just feel good and familiar. So that's something that came to my mind when I was thinking about this topic, that as I've said before, I think I just said on a podcast with Nathan that we did about breathing, uh, we birth the way we live. We breathe the way we live. And I think when it comes to partners, we also are going to partner the way we do even in birth. I do have a quick story about that. That's kind of fun. So this was a bunch of years ago. First time mom, very involved and excited guy, which was great. Every prenatal right there, totally into it. Enthusiastic, had questions. Great. Birth time comes first baby, fairly long labor, if I'm remembering correctly. And as happens, he was getting tired. But he kind of like wouldn't let himself rest. And so that's another thing that I like to say, you know, when you're the partner, go rest if you've got to rest, like go eat if you have to eat, you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. And again, these are conversations to have. Take care of yourself. Don't neglect yourself. Probably you're not going to miss the birth. Anyway, this guy just didn't want to leave the room. And it was obvious he needed to take care of himself. It also became obvious at a certain point that her labor really wasn't progressing anymore. And, you know, there's possibly a lot of reasons for that, but it intuitively kept feeling to me like if this guy would just leave the room, things would probably go forward again. And so I don't remember exactly what happened. Maybe we, like the people that were attending the birth, said something to him. Um, and, and, yeah, it might have just been as simple as like, hey, why don't you go get yourself some food or, you know, go take care of yourself. Like, we're, we're here. She'll be fine. And so whatever it was, he did excuse himself. And as I predicted, the labor massively started moving forward after. And again, so many fascinating conversations here. I don't mean that to blame anyone. I don't think he had bad energy. It was nothing of the sort. It was just their relationship. It was just however they normally relate to each other. Uh, It wasn't working for this baby coming out in that moment. And I don't know what it was. It could have been he was feeling fearful or just feeling exhausted. and, And she was picking up on that. And maybe they have the kind of relationship where She tries to soothe certain things in him or um, vice versa. You know, he was really maybe over concerned that she was in pain. So again, it's the nitty gritty intricacies of people's personal relationships that come out in labor. So you have to know that you have to know your relationship best. Um, Your midwife can't like you have to know that. And you have to know that your strong points, your weak points, they're all going to be more obvious most likely in the birth process. So I guess, because I never answer a question simply, um, it's about the relationship. It's about taking it back home. When you have this question about like, what can I do at a birth, taking it back and reminding yourselves, 
where you're at, you know, what you love about each other, um, what you can't stand about each other, what are hurdles for you in your relationship, right? So I'm not going to go into relationship coaching, but I think that is essentially what we're talking about, really. That's how it ends up manifesting because we're the people we are and we can't hide from ourselves in birth, especially birth. When we're the birthing woman, we really can't. We become just the rawest version of ourselves. And again, I think for guys, it's really super likely as well. So I do want to get into a little bit of energetics here because to me, that's so much more interesting than the to-do list, even though I get that that might be helpful and useful. My mentor was just reminding me, uh, Donna Maria, the other day of the simple, basic elements of life. And we were talking about a different conversation entirely, but it doesn't matter because the basic elements of life from a scientific point of view and an energetic point of view do come down to the egg and the sperm. And I thought, wow, I'm going to give her credit for this, but this is such a perfect way of explaining how our roles might be at birth just naturally when we're not over planning or overthinking. So of course, conception is very relevant here, right? The conception of another human That's what we're talking about in the birth process is the birth of this conception of this other human. But if we take it back to conception, it's really simple. We have the divine female energy, the divine feminine of the egg itself. And that is life. Nothing can happen without the egg, right? The sperm has to come in and do its thing, or so we think, or, you know, the egg attracts the sperm, whatever. But we start with this, we start with life. And if we think of the energetics of the egg of this female energy, her job is to create. So a woman and the egg kind of talking, overlapping here, the manifester, we we are the ones that manifest as women. We manifest this egg and the egg is also manifesting, but we are the creatrix of all of this. Like we would not be here if it weren't for that. None of us. So just sitting with that for a moment, that as the woman, as the pregnant woman, we are the creators of the circle that we're creating around this birth. So we didn't just create the baby, although that's highly miraculous and beautiful. We're creating also the energy of this experience. That's really important to sit with if you resonate, because then we can't put the cart before the horse in a sense. We can't put the energy of the masculine before we sit with the gravity of the female divine energy that is birth, that is the pregnant woman and her baby. So the sperm, and I'll try and tie this all together in a minute, um, the sperm is in response to the egg and provides coding, right? It provides what's needed to create 
creation has begun, but now the direction is needed. So it's like the sperm is the voice or, you know, the, the written directions or however you want to think of it to protect the circle. So again, egg, female, that is the circle. The circle is our energy, whatever we choose it to be. We are the creators. And then the male, the masculine energy, is the coding, is the protection of the circle. So what does this mean? Well, I think that's just fascinating on its own to kind of sit with those roles that are inherent in the divine masculine, in the divine feminine. I think it's fascinating to apply them to birth and now to this discussion. So what does the divine masculine do then? The answer is right there. The answer is in this simple explanation of how we all get here. The divine masculine is there to hold space, to protect, to enforce boundaries, but isn't the creator. This makes me just think once again of how powerful we are as pregnant women in creating what we want. So I know I'm going off on a million tangents, but when we have this question of what can the guy do, it's another opportunity for the pregnant woman to face within, to go within herself and say, well, what do I want? You know, what is the feeling that I'm holding for this birth? What is the communication I've had with my body, with my baby? Like, what is this? <laughs> you know, what what is this art project I've made? Like, what's the name of it? Um, if, if you don't know, then how can it be protected? And how can it be understood by the divine masculine? I think that's just a really cool way of looking at it. So it does put the responsibility back on us as the women in a lot of ways, right? It's not just gonna get handed off. Maybe it does for some people. But I think in the deep sense of this conversation, it doesn't, because we're forced to look back at ourselves and say, okay, for you to do because yes, you are more of the doer as the masculine, you are the protector, what do I want protected? Simple question, really, but one that a lot of women don't consider when they're, you know, envisioning their birth or even setting up the birth space or any of it. It's just kind of like this wide open canvas. Um, it's not super specific in its feeling. So that's another suggestion is to kind of reverse the question and make sure you as the woman are really clear on what you want. And then if you're able to verbalize it, if you're able to talk about that, then maybe he will come up with his own creative ideas as a creative human in his own right. Oh, you know, I didn't know you felt that way. I didn't know that's what support looked like to you. I didn't know that's what support felt like to you. Oh, I can be that right. And then he adds his energy. Oh, I can give that. But until then, until you really know and kind of have made the circle, um, how does anyone really participate or add? So I love that perspective. Personally, I I'm going to start talking about that more with people. 
um, because it really becomes an equal responsibility conversation, which is how I love it. I think it's no one's job to make it right, right? Uh, when we're birthing, it's really ours to create. I did mention support. That word sometimes is overused. I definitely overuse it. What does it actually mean? Met with a family a couple of months ago um, who were not aligned with each other at all. And therefore, I wasn't aligned to work with them. But I did learn a lot by sitting with them for a consultation. And it was somber in a sense because this couple was so not aligned. And this poor woman sat there and cried. And I, I shouldn't even say poor woman. It was just overall um, sad, really, for both partners, I'm sure, and even this baby. But this woman was highly emotional, as pregnant women tend to be. And she kept attempting to voice her need for support. And, and that's why she was looking for a midwife. She thought, you know, that's support to me. Um, unfortunately, whatever was their history, whatever was really going on in this relationship, I don't know. But he had no idea. He had no idea what support meant. He just looked at her blankly. And at one point, I tried to encourage, you know, is there a way you could explain that? Like, what does support actually look like? Like, give him some examples. And then, of course, internally, what does it feel like for you? And I didn't say this to them. It wasn't the right time or place. But just in this podcast, are we being supported by ourselves? It's so easy to turn that to the external world and say, I'm not supported. And I've certainly said that too. So I am my own teacher as well. When we feel that way, yes, there are often things that we can ask for and external support is needed. But at the end of it, are we supporting ourselves? How do we need to take care of ourselves? How do we need to love ourselves and lift ourselves up? And what do we need to be functioning adults in our own right? So again, this is getting maybe off track for some people, but I don't think it's irrelevant. If we're not supported in our lives, we really do have to look within. And then, like I said, have conversations with those that care about us and try to feel it. Try to feel in our bodies what we're talking about, being disengaged from that from what support even feels like makes it impossible to find words for. I'm mentioning this and I'm sharing that story because I don't think it's uncommon. I think there are a lot of guys specifically out there that have no idea what you want. <laughs> I've seen it. Um, I've seen it so many times. So in whatever ways that looks for people to get more clear on, I don't think that many men are trying to be difficult. I don't think they're trying to not be supportive. I don't think they're trying to be jerks or not or not be helpful. I think they just honestly don't know. And so, you know, how can you say what you want or what would be helpful if you don't even know for yourself? Let's see. Let's see what else I've got here. I feel like that was a large part of the deeper conversation. Um, yeah, I guess lastly, Jason definitely has offerings I would suggest and I always am recommending. He has a couple of podcasts with other men on our podcast archive. Don't forget the podcast archives hold every podcast we've ever done and the podcast apps do not. So if you ever want to see the super old 
podcasts, uh, you know, the ones you've never heard before, go to IndieBirth.org forward slash podcast archives. They are by category there. And Jason has, I want to say two, if not more, with other guys. So one is with Nathan Riley, our good friend. And one is with Tom Knowles, another good friend. Tom is the father of 10 children as well. And they're really great conversations. How often do you hear two men talk about what it was like to support their wife in birth? I think those are the gems. I think I'm just kind of babbling in a sense about my own experience. And in a large um, part, this is for the women listening. But for the guys who don't want to hear me babbling on, I would highly recommend these podcasts that Jason has done. There are also a couple of partner resources in our 13 moons. So if you're not in there, I don't know why it's a pay what you can course. It's indiebirth.org forward slash 13 moons, the number you can donate what you want and go listen to whatever you want in there. But there's definitely a partner um, webinar, a partner webinar. And I think Jason has something else on planning a home birth that is more in lines with a lot of the things I've talked about today, which is energy and getting clear on um, our own paths and our roles in each other's lives while maintaining our own individuality and our own autonomy. Last but not least, Jason has a circle that he conducts every month for men. It is virtual. You can sign up or check it out at magicalman.org. He has really enjoyed doing that. I don't know what happens there. It's for men. I've never been present. And he talks a little bit about it, but it's not about birth. It's just for guys. So they've talked about fears and money and all kinds of things that come up for men. And again, I'm suggesting this because A, it's a great resource. And of course, I think Jason's brilliant at leading other men. But B, because there isn't a lot of support seemingly out there for guys around just the divine masculine and and living in that way, whatever that means to them. So again, it's so easy to focus on the birth. What will this guy do this one day for a couple of hours? And if you think about it like that, it's sort of sad that there really isn't more presence in the world and more space holding for these men to really explore who they are. And then however they would behave at a birth would just be normal, right? It would just be perfect in a sense. Um, So I guess that's my last plea for all of us guys, women, everyone, just doing their own internal work, finding their own sources of wisdom and creativity, and bringing that to the birth space, because why not? Birth is just an extension of our normal life. And if you happen to be the father of this child, then even more so, it is a special day. It is an opportunity to really be present. It is all of those things, and you are also so needed. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this little chat, and I'll talk to you soon. 